Well, good morning, church. So I, I turned 44 last week. And uh, don't clap. That's, I hope that's not an achievement. But uh, my, my wife, Lauren, had been on me for a while now to get into the dermatologist because I'm getting older. Pretty sure that's exactly how she said it. And so I finally broke down and said, okay, I'm going to go to the dermatologist. So I'm filling out all the paperwork, feeling old in the waiting room. And I know some of you are older than 44, and I'm making you sick right now, and I'm sorry those of you who aren't, and, and you know 44 is, you know, not the same thing as 18. We're, we're all kind of at different places along the age spectrum, I know, but just go with me, okay? I'm filling it out, kind of feeling sorry for myself. My birthday was on a Tuesday last week. You can't have a good birthday on a Tuesday. Anyway, so <laughs> filling it all out, and I get into the, the actual examination room. The nurse is talking to me. Asked me some questions about getting up in age, all that stuff. And so then she says, okay, you can un- unbutton your shirt and wait for the, the doctor. Okay. And I don't ever feel great about being outside of my house and unbuttoning my shirt. So button my shirt. I'm waiting, feeling vulnerable and fragile and old. And the door opens up, and I kid you not. This woman walks in who's younger than me, and the first words out of her mouth are, I know you. (laughs) You don't know me, but I know you. And of all the sentences I did not want anybody to say to me in that moment, you couldn't come up with a worse sentence than, I know you, you don't know me, I know you. Now take your shirt off, right? Like, I just... (laughs) All of us have moments when we just don't want to be that known. Right? Now, I'm not talking about going to a dermatology appointment. I'm talking about in the deepest places of who we are. There are ways in which, if we're really honest, we're afraid to be known. Because there's some struggle that we have. There's some shortcoming that we have. There's some set of doubts that we're wrestling with. There are these things going on in our lives that we know should be going differently, that that we feel like we should be handling better. And all of us have these times when we pull back. All of us have these times when we don't really want to be seen. The problem with that, brothers and sisters, is we were created by a God to be known and seen. And so when we hold back, when, when we try to find a way to hide... We aren't having the experience that we were created to have by our good, good Heavenly Father. And, and all of us have different ways of dealing with it. All of us, I think, have different ways even of running away. And yet we come to this place, we come to this moment, we in our hearts come to this table. And I want to tell you something. 
don't try to hide. Because you can't hide. And that's not a threat. It's actually a blessing. It's not something we're supposed to be afraid of. It doesn't matter what we bring with us to the, the Lord's table. The Lord sees the truth. God sees who we really are. The, the parts of us that were ready to show and the parts of us that we want to keep just to ourselves. If we accept God's invitation to come to this place, to come to his table, we don't get to decide what we're going to hold back. Now, I think the danger is we can actually successfully hide and, and hold things back from our fellow brothers and sisters who are gathering around the table with us. I mean, we, we can't fool God. We, we can't try to pretend to be something or someone we're not to, to God, but we can definitely pretend to one another. And I think one of the, the biggest dangers in all that is that when we fool our brothers and sisters at the table, when we hold back, that directly impacts our experience in this moment of having a family of faith who knows us and loves us in the knowing, who has grace for us even though we're not holding something back. Now, the, the grace that we show to one another, it's not a grace that we produce. It's not something that we come up with. It's God's grace that we're sharing with one another. And so what we can trust is that it is stronger, it is better, it is it's what we're longing for more than anything else. And because it doesn't come from us alone, it's able to not just handle, but to heal all the things that we're not sure about in ourselves. And, and the experience of that at the table, it's only really going to be as full and as rich as God wants for it to be if we share it. If it's not just me by myself coming to the table and you by yourself coming to the table and us not really opening up to one another. But no, if, if we as family come to the table and we know that it always it's God's invitation. It's, it's not our church's invitation to the table. It's not my invitation to the table. It is God's invitation. And so nobody else, nobody else has the right to tell you that you're disqualified. Nobody else is in a position to say, you know what, you need to pull your, your life together a little bit more than, than it's already pulled together before you come here. Nobody else can tell you how to feel. Nobody else can tell you what you have to think about. Because we all come together as beggars to this feast. And we come week after week to this place. And we need to learn to trust that what God wants more than anything else is for us to feel deeply and truly known. We have been listening to the words of the letter to the Hebrews, and what we have found time and again in those words is the assurance that of all the things Jesus is, of all the things Jesus 
is, is doing and able to accomplish one of the most important things that Jesus accomplishes for us and for God is that Jesus becomes God's way of understanding us from the inside out. That Jesus becomes the living embodiment of how far God is willing to go to not just hear what you say you're thinking, but to know what you're thinking. To not just have your your fears or your hopes or your dreams or the things that you're, you're most longing for described, but to experience them with you. I think it was Mark Twain. You know, you got to be careful. I feel like now in the age of the internet, it's either Mark Twain or Abraham Lincoln who said everything that ever was said. But this is attributed to Mark Twain. A man who tries to hold a cat by the tail learns something you can learn in no other way. Right? You could have someone else tell you what it's like to try to hold a cat by the tail. That's not the same thing as trying yourself. I'm not talking about hurting cats, Avery, I promise. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about there's things in life we all know. That's one thing to read about it, to watch it, to have it described to you. It's another thing to experience it yourself. There are some things you can only learn when you really do walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Jesus is God's way of doing that. Because that's how much God wants to know us and for us to understand that we're truly known. I want us to read together Hebrews, starting in chapter 8, where the writer says, look, there's something new happening in this new covenant. If there'd been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people, right, that they weren't keeping the covenant that they had had entered into with him. And so he finds fault in that relationship. And instead of completely giving up, this is what he does. He says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to, to lead them out of Egypt because they didn't remain faithful to our relationship. And so I turned away from them, declares the Lord. Now, I turned away from them doesn't mean God gave up on them. It means they were hurting God in such a way that there was some distance created. God doesn't want that distance, right? And so he says, this is the covenant, the new relationship that I will establish with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws not on tablets... Of stone, right? But I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer will they teach their neighbors or say to one another, Know the Lord. Because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will hold their sins against them no more. By calling this covenant new. God has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Now look, there was nothing wrong from God's side of things when he set up the first covenant. What went wrong is the fact that God's people turned God's law into a way of feeling not good enough. Of instead of drawing close to God, of pulling away, of hiding of replacing 
a, a real, living, active relationship with God with a set of rules and regulations that they could check off. God says, that's not what I had in mind at all. And it led to the people turning away from God in such a way that it caused God to pull away from them. And then God says, I can't leave it here. I've got to find a way to close that distance. And so Jesus comes in this new promise, this new relationship, where God both knows us deeply and we know God deeply is made possible. Now, there's a few words in everything we read that I want us to kind of pull out and focus on. Okay, and it's this, that God says, I will put my laws in their minds and write them in their hearts. They will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and will hold their sins against them no more. I love that last line because it reminds me of the Apostle Paul when he says that love keeps no record of wrongs. That God's not building a case against you. That God's not keeping track of all your mistakes to bring them up and condemn you. That God doesn't want that kind of relationship with us. God wants something better. Jesus is God's way of closing the distance, right? Jesus helps God understand us better. Jesus helps us understand God better, but Jesus is after more than making, you know, better mutual understanding possible. Jesus isn't trying to negotiate peace between us and God in some precarious agreement. I know what, what Jesus wants is to make it possible for us and God to share the same mind, to share the same heart. That's That's exactly what the prophet Jeremiah says, and that's exactly the portion of Jeremiah that the Hebrews writer's quoting, that we're reading this morning, right? In other words, these words don't just happen once in Scripture. They happen twice. The identical words, because they're words that are true, and they're words that you and I desperately need to believe. Trust. God says, I want a relationship where my law is in your mind, where the way I see the world is living and breathing in your heart. Now, we have a word for sharing the same mind and sharing the same heart. It's not agreement. Do you know what that word is? Communion. Right? When when we share the same mind, when we're sharing the same heart, we're practicing true communion. And that's what God invites us to week after week in this moment. Not just to share the same space, not just to be in the same room, all of us feeling differently about how warm or not warm or whatever it is, and all of us feeling differently about how well the service has gone so far, and all of us wondering, is Jared going to quit soon, or, you know, is this what, whatever. All of us have different concerns and thoughts and feelings in this moment. doesn't matter. God's not interested in us, all of us, thinking the exact same way. But God does want to share life. God does want us to see things the way he does. For for our hearts to beat for the same things that make his heart 
be, for, for our hearts to be broken by the, the same things that break his heart, for the things that make God angry when he looks at our world, for those things to make us angry, for the, the ways that, that God's able to look at us and find hope, that we would be people who don't just talk about that hope, but experience that hope, feel it. That's what's possible in moments of communion. But that only happens, brothers and sisters, when you and I let the guards that we have placed right, that we've built in our minds, in our hearts, and in our souls. All of us have ways that we maintain safety, and we decide that, look, I'm, I'm either going to actually listen to you, or I'm going to pretend to listen to you, or I'm, I'm actually going to find a way to share life with you, or I'm just going to go through the motions where it appears that we're sharing life, that we have the opportunity to either practice true communion or counterfeit communion. That's not God's fault. That's not God's place. Because God's not going to force us to have true communion with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, or with our fellow brothers and sisters. It's a choice you and I have to make Every single time we accept God's invitation into this place, into this experience. So what are we going to do? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to try to trust that when God says, you are forgiven, that that's the most true thing about you. And then, what we're going to try to let happen is for God's forgiveness to change our minds and our hearts enough for us to truly forgive each other. Because forgiveness is the only pathway to true and lasting communion. Forgiveness is the only way that we keep letting our brothers and sisters and our fathers and mothers, and our co-workers, and our friends. Forgiveness, ongoing forgiveness, is the only way we can keep holding one another close. And let me tell you, the the people that you're working right now to forgive, they're going to mess up again. They're going to slip up and hurt you again. And then you're going to have to decide again that eternal and lasting forgiveness of God. Is it going to be something that I receive? Or is it going to be something that I both receive and share? And I'll tell you, a lot of us in this room, the thing we need the most forgiveness of is our lack of forgiveness for others. And I'll tell you, I believe that the amazing grace of God is stronger than our lack of grace. But you are meant to breathe in and out. You were meant to inhale and exhale the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God. And when we hold it for ourselves, it's not that it's ineffective. It's not that it doesn't work it's that it's not nearly all that it can be. 
both for you and the people who desperately need you, to show them through your actions that you share the mind and the heart of God that says, even though you have hurt me, even though you've let me down, even though you have broken in so many ways the structure of our relationship, even though I want to not only turn away from you, but to run away from you, I believe that there's still a future possible for us. That's what's, that's what's here. That, that's what can happen when we gather around the table of the Lord. Now, we're going we're gonna to take the, the bread and the cup together this morning. Uh, and I, I want you to be thinking as we do, gather together as, as beggars of grace at this feast. I want you to think about someone in your life who who you know you need to find a way to share God's grace with. And look, they may actually be in this room right now. Or they may be a thousand miles away. Or they may, they may actually have already passed away. I don't know who it is that you and your heart and your mind have been withholding God's grace and saying, no, I can't, I can't find a way to do this. Now, I, I want to be clear about this. Grace includes consequences. Grace includes maybe needing to have some sort of ground rules in a relationship that allow it to go forward. Grace means that we're going to have a different kind of relationship on the other side of forgiveness than we would have had if nothing wrong had ever taken place between us. I'm just saying that grace says that there's still a future Can we find a way to believe that? Man, I want us to find a way to believe that. Not because of us, but because of God. Who wants us to know that God sees all of who we are. And doesn't just love us in spite of it. You know, sometimes I hear preachers and Bible class teachers say that God knows everything about you and loves you anyway. I I know that that's true. I think I've said it. You could probably quote it back to me in the lobby later. It's not that God looks at all of who you are and and loves you in spite of it. I think God actually loves you because of it. Because he knows what it's like to struggle. And he knows what it's like to have Judas at the table and want to do something that wouldn't have made the final cut in one of the Gospels. He knows what it's like. And I think God finds something beautiful and our willingness to fight against all the, the things in us that aren't of God. And even though there's times we stumble and fall, the struggle's beautiful. Because God's with us in it. Welcome to the table of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we're your people. And you know what that means. You know all that it means. And you know the difficulties that we have faced and are facing. You know the struggles that we have had and we still have. You you know the regrets. You know the hopes. You know the fears. You know the, the good, the bad, all of it. And we are so thankful 
that you forgive our wickedness and hold our sins against us no more. But God, help the bread and the cup that we take together in just a few moments. Help it to be a feast where we take in your grace and your mercy and our souls start to digest it. We, we actually start to metabolize it to a kind of gracious energy that drives us to be people who, like Jesus, find a way into this future that our mistakes would have otherwise made impossible. Help us, God, as we think about the people in our lives who have hurt us, the people in our lives that we are trying to learn love again. God, we need your strength and your wisdom, and so we ask for it as your people. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.